The Production Expert Podcast is brought to you with the kind support of Autoria, Source Elements, and RSPE Audio Solutions. Welcome to the Production Expert Podcast. I'm Julian Rogers, and in this week's edition, I'm joined by Ross Hughes and Mark Werry. We're going to be discussing the recent announcements Apple made at the WWDC. Um, loads of stuff in there. I'm just, I'm just going to put it out to you guys. Um, what, what did Apple have to share with us, and, um, and, and what, does, what does it mean, and what do we think? Um, Mark, we should definitely start with you. Uh, what, what you, you, you watched it. You, you know what happened. What do you think? Yeah, I think, well, I was not the keynote I was perhaps hoping for. I was convinced there would be a new Mac Pro announced since all paths seem to be leading to it, you know, both in terms of when my previous Mac Pros have been um, unveiled right back to the Power Mac G5, actually. So it's 20, 20, 20, 19 years ago. So I, I, that was disappointing in one sense. Uh, and the fact that they had sort of said about the two-year transition, which is now over, uh, as a time period, the fact that um, John Turner had brought it up during the um, Mac Studio keynote, I thought, oh, this is a dead start. And instead, after 20 minutes of just watching people customize lock screens, I thought, <laughs> oh, oh, there's something really bad going on here if they give it 20 minutes of keynote time to a lock screen. Uh, what? That is, isn't that, that's modus operandi for WDC these days, for, for any Apple keynote. They tend to. At least they have, at least they're not showing us new shops anymore, which used to be really dull. Uh, yeah, well, and then, and then what it tends to be is, uh, iOS adoption of iOS, new stuff in iOS, what <laughs> well, I was expecting blah, 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 blah. And if you wait an hour, yeah. I get a Mac. Well, I, I was definitely expecting, um, the, the, the OS update stuff because, um, you know, it was, uh, they always announced new versions of the OSs or the operating systems. So that was, that was in line. I just thought 20 minutes on a lock screen was pushing my patience a little bit. <laughs> and when I watched, uh, the, the daring fireball, you know, John Gruber doing the talk show from WWDC again, you know, Greg, Greg Josiak said, um, that one of the people who came up to him and said, oh, you had me at lock screen, one of the media people that were there. And I thought, yeah, you had me a lock screen too, but I wanted to hang myself. Into a co you got me into a coma with a lock screen. And yeah, I just to be fair, they could have wheeled out you too, so we were lucky. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that was one thing. Then of course we did have an M2 announcement, which we'll dissect in a bit more detail. But that that was sort of as expected, really more evolutionary than revolutionary, I think. And I think we have to also face facts that, you know, this, this world global chip shortage is still, you know, very much persistent and uh, problematic in, in, in our industry, you know, for, for all sorts of reasons. I mean, the, if, even if you look at the Mac studio ship times, they're now like 10 to 12 weeks on the ultra model. Yeah. People still haven't got those ordered them months ago. People are still waiting on MacBook pros from last year. Yeah. So I don't think necessarily not having masses of new Macs is a, is a problem. And especially since they, the ones they did announce, it was only yesterday, so this update when this is recorded, um, that they said that they'll be accepting orders for the, the PowerBook on uh, Friday. Sorry, MacBook Pro um, on Friday. So what's interesting though, Mark, actually, if you, if you rewind two to three years ago, the absence of Mac in the 
sales portfolio wasn't really a big issue because Mac wasn't that big a number. But now mm. Mac is becoming a big number for Apple again. Uh, it is partly because of the new silicon. Yeah, silicon. So it's interesting that that's taking place. That that the not shipping Macs impacts Apple now. And as I say, you you could look back. I remember looking at balance sheets five years ago. They were making more out of I think support than they were out of Macs. Yeah, selling support package, selling Apple Care. So that's that's it's it's interesting to see the shift that they're regaining desktop and laptop market, which is which is which is great news. Anyway. Let's go on to the first subject, which we probably should avoid because it's a red rag to bull with me. You want to oh, talk about right, okay. I think it's time to talk about spatial audio. <laughs> <laughs> there was there was an announcement about um, a new personal personalized HRTF for spatial audio, much like what Dolby are doing, what Genelec are doing. Um it's I've tried both those systems and um yeah, okay. Um but I, I um, tried yeah. The, yeah, I've tried the Dolby one. Uh I think I, you know, I think it works, but it's a bit awkward to um, to spin around in the way that they want you to. Um, it's so easier I'm, than what you have to do for the Genelec one. I needed I needed help from a friend to to do that one. So, yeah, yeah, the, Do the Dolby one so is really easier. It, it's definitely works, but I'm I'm not convinced that it that the personalised nature of it is hundreds times better than just the more generic renderer. But of course, the problem is everyone's hearing is different. That's the, that's the sad reality of this. So nobody hears spatial audio in quite the same way because it is a sort of effect of psychoacoustics, especially when you're doing binaural stuff. So, yeah. I think I a very interesting one there was, um, uh, I was having a conversation about this, and um, it is quite... Um, Anatomically specific, and uh, and there's very broad changes. Around. Basically, it depends who your who your reference normal ear is, and what's a normal ear in somewhere as diverse as the human population globally. And I think well, they what they do is they generally test like several thousand people, and at least as I saw, this is the way Sony did it. And then they place, you know, you've got the extremities of of where people fall on the spectrum of how noticeable spatial audio as a, as a perceived effect is to them. And then there's a lot of people that just congregate around the middle of this curve and they tend yeah. to focus on the middle curve part. And of if the you're curve not in the, if you're not near the middle, then you're kind of out of luck, but this is a way out of that. So, yeah. so is this, is this Apple's yeah, way of trying think, to, I think is this Apple's way of trying to improve spatial audio? Yes, in a sense, because it's, it's, it's tailoring it more to a, your, your own hearing. I mean, my hearing happens to fall probably roughly in the middle. So I've never had a problem perceiving it and I've never felt sick perceiving it either. But if you're one of the people, like I've got friends that actually think that it, oh, they, they can't understand all the buses because they simply can't perceive it. And it's not their fault. It's, you know, their hearing just doesn't accommodate the, the sort of average uh, HRTF that is, that is eventually selected and created. So I think if you've had problems with spatial audio perceiving it or perceiving it too much to the point you feel nauseous or something, then this is a the personalized HRGFs are probably going to improve your experience. I if you're will, like I, me or you haven't really noticed anything then, or you, you've noticed it, you're not feeling sick, you, it's probably going to have less impact on you, but for some it's going to be huge. I, I Well, okay, I, 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 I wait with bated breath because my experience of spatial audio so far, as we said before the I show... I was going to say that, so that yeah. sounded deeply sarcastic, Russ. No, well, it, it was deeply sarcastic because, as I say, as, as far as I'm concerned, spatial audio right now is 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 not good 
uh, not really fit for purpose. It, it it does normally what these kind of spatializing psychoacoustic things do. They kind of they just just take away any sense of of, of focus in a mix. It says I heard as I say if you listen to the tears for fit, I've written an article about this, so I won't go to detail on the podcast tonight. It's coming on with a blog soon. But if you listen to the Tears for Fears albums in Atmos, which isn't Atmos, it's especially an audio rendition of Atmos. Uh, I've heard more clarity listening through PAs in big stadiums than I did on that mix. It was vile. And then I put it back in good old-fashioned stereo, and it all made sense again. So uh, yeah, the, I, the jury is well and truly out with me on this one. And I, listen, I'm a, I'm a fanboy. I'm a big fan of this technology, um, as, as you may know. And I think that the problem with a lot of what, what's going on to Apple Music at the moment, it's just it's the sort of gold rush of, you know, everything has to be Atmos. And it doesn't really matter whether it's great or just average or mediocre, as long as record labels feel that they can sell it as spatial. Again, audio. yeah, they can sell you sell you what you've bought before in a different form. Well, they want to please Apple because Apple obviously going to get more promotion to spatial audio than non-spatial audio, and I think that's where it gets caught up. And you know, as I said to you earlier, if you want to hear a, a rather good album, in my opinion, in spatial audio, the, the No Time to Die soundtrack would be uh, top of my list. But then I'm slightly biased because I didn't yeah, because you actually mixed it. <laughs> but I have to say, but from that experience, from mixing it in using the Dolby renderer to it translating to spatial audio, which was something I was very conscious of when I was doing it. Because I thought, well, at that point, you know, it really was Apple Music was the only game in town. So as long as it sounded good on AirPods, I felt like, well, that's 95% of listeners are going to be listening on AirPods for the spatial audio. So if it sounds good on this, it's going to sound fine on everything else. So, you know, but then I said to you earlier, I mean, this, this took me a month to do that mix, you know, working sort of you know, sometimes 18 hour days. Labels and aren't going to pay somebody to do that on an album. Wouldn't have the time to do yeah. that. We had the time to do it because A, the album had been delayed by about 18 months anyway, because the film release getting pushed. And in many ways, the, the, the Atmos version of that was an afterthought because when the stereo version was done, it was pre the spatial audio announcement by Apple anyway, let alone the Apple Music announcement. So you know, we, we were lucky that we, we could spend, or we were lucky that I could spend the month doing it because I was able to focus on nothing but that and just take the stems, which was 21, 5.1 stems and, and actually do a hopefully decent job with it. I'd like to think, but as but I said, again, I, it's the I question of how, how much time do people realistically have to do that as, especially when it's an afterthought. And, and, and as I say, labels aren't going to give uh, give uh, mix engineers weeks to to remix into into, into Atmos. They'll probably give them a ridiculously low budget to try and just make this Atmos kind of almost press a button kind of technique. Yeah, and I mean, if you're an engineer and you've got a label just constantly feeding you back their back catalogue to, you know, yeah. spatialized or whatever, whatever the verb is to atmosify it or something, I don't know. Shittify it, I think is the term. Shittify, well, I feel like once again, I'm going to be, I, I'm sort of on my own on this one. But, uh, you're not, Mark, you're not. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to wave, I'm, I'm going to keep cheering for it. There's, a, there's, a, think... there's a range of opinions, I think. And I always sound like a, P, I sound like a PC user at an Apple conference. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to move us along. I want to make sure that we get uh, to the to the meat of this announcement, though, which is the M2 yes. announcement. Achoria has a wide selection of software effects, including three compressors, three filters, three preamps, and three delays you'll actually use. 
The latest release, three delays you'll actually use, includes Delay Tape 201, Delay Memory Brigade, and the unique and experimental Delay Eternity. A bundle of selected effects, called the AudioFuse Creative Suite, is included with all AudioFuse audio interfaces. Visit Autoria.com to find out more on the effects you'll actually use. M2. Yes, let's go. Well, I mean, from my point of view, it was more uh, an evolution rather than a revolution, which is fine, I think, because that's possibly all they needed to worry about. Um, I think the biggest thing for me is the, is the Macs that they've decided to launch the M2 with. Because I thought, well, okay, MacBook Air, that makes sense. Or, or you know, that was definitely overture, a, a sort of redesign, a rethink. So I, I quite liked that. But then the MacBook Pro 13 was re reannounced. So I thought, well, this is damn strange because it doesn't have MagSafe, which every other laptop does. Uh, and it still has a touch bar. And I thought, well, didn't we get rid of that? You know, wasn't Apple quite keen on just not mentioning it anymore? And it seems like that is a very, very weird laptop for a lot of people to jump onto where in theory the air is exactly the same <laughs> or uses the same technology whether or not it gives you the same performance you know we can go into but that was that was my initial impression and uh, some people some people suggested they just had stock of the old chassis and that's what they're trying to do is that that, that, that that's not Apple style. I, is I don't it? think so because I think they do build to order a lot of this stuff. And I mean, I I can't imagine that they had like tons of you know spare chassis lying around, and they decided to upgrade them. I mean, it could be that, but I doesn't strike me that Apple was because as people have pointed out before, they're very very good with supply chain issues, and their supply chain guru was Tim Cook, as the COO before he became CEO. So I some I don't think Tim Cook's the sort of guy that likes to waste money or one that like have like warehouses full of unsold stuff that needs you know upgrading so i you know one has to file this under sort of question mark i think because i think the real clues are in the the, the real differentiators so if you look at the specs are the uh, display technology the screen on the macbook air is now not just the regular 13 inch uh, one or 13.3 it's a 13.6 inch display with a few more um, pixels to boot and of course you've got the dreaded notch at the top of the um the the laptop which i have to say i mean as as someone who's using the sort of 14 and 16 you know most days i don't really find the notch actually is bothersome especially when you have a menu bar for it to hide behind yeah yeah do you think the 24 gigabyte thing is going to be an issue an issue in what way, good or bad? Oh, kind of both, really, because it's a bit of both, really, isn't it? Because in one way, it says, "Well, it's now got you now got twenty four gigabytes of, of of memory." But yeah, uh, well, I think it's good. Okay. Not megabytes, as you put in your notes. <laughs> yeah, always, always off Sorry. by a factor. But you know, but but for you know, but I suppose we're coming back to this thing that we talked about in the past, which is that like memory in a Mac. Silicon Mac isn't is not to be regarded in the same way Mac memory has been in the old internet. No, the integratedness of the memory is is a huge, or the unified memory model is is actually really really important. I'm just um, thinking about people who want to use big samplers or or lots of firepower. Is 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 this going to be enough? The M2, thirteen yes. inch. Yeah, I think so because well, twenty four gigs is already quite quite generous, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, 
But I think what, what makes that number more interesting is if they follow the same family pattern they did with the M1. Yeah. So yeah. if the M2 Pro has a maximum limit there for 48, yeah. and then the M1, the M2 Pro has a max limit of 96, and then it means therefore the M2 Ultra, should there be such a beast, would potentially have the ability to have 192 gigabytes, would up from 128. So that's there's a 64 gigabytes more at the top end. So 192 gigabytes, just sort of starting to think, well, yeah, that's pretty, and the, that that is very comfortable as a, as a memory uh, size. So I think the fact that the, a lot of the memories can be used for the data set rather than, I mean, an eight gigabyte Mac uh, M1 will allow you to do quite quite a bit. Yeah, um, I've had no problems. That, I had the first generation one and there wasn't, I never had a problem running out of memory. Right. And so if you think of that and then you think, well, I'm, if I add another 16 gigs to that, the eight gig model, I've got that's 16 gigabytes of just gravy, basically, which can be for the data set. Yeah. So, but I think one, one really important part of the, um, the announcements last week was the fact that this, this could play directly into our industry because, um, and I've, hopefully I'm not the only one that's thought about this because it seems like it's too good to be true in many ways, which is the, um, arrival of version three of Metal. And now a lot of people were thinking, oh, Metal, that's, that's just graphics, right? And, and yeah, for the large part it is, but, but it's now being used for a lot more other things than just machine learning and, um, resource loading in, in version three. So Microsoft have something called direct storage, which is an API that tacks onto technologies developed by AMD and Nvidia, and that generalizes it for the platform. What that basically allows you to do is to load resources using the GPU really, and, and take the strain off of the CPU because you don't have to wait for the, all of the data to load is they use an asynchronous model so they can just issue requests to a queue and that queue takes care of bringing the data in from the disk, but through the GPU. Now that's great for graphics on, on a, where you've got dedicated graphics memory, but of course on the unified model. It doesn't mean that you're loading, it means you're loading the data directly into the system memory that everything can access. So they talk about loading audio assets in, in as well, because obviously games have audio and, but if you were to take that technology and apply it to say streaming samplers, you know, the fact that you could now access, um, the SSD without as much CPU overhead and you means you can load it directly in, right. It, in terms of the, the, where the, where it's going to sit in memory, there's no extra transfer required between CPU and GPU. It's just all loaded into this unified model. So if people don't take advantage of these storage features, that's going to be a crying shame because to me, that's what could really make a huge difference in terms of how samplers work going forwards rather than the very simplistic model that most of them adopt at the moment, which is on a per voice basis rather than looking at a per storage basis. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm that, that's the back. There were lots of these little details in, in amongst the, the sort of WWDC noise that I think, you know, you, you have to sort of look a bit further than the keynote admittedly, but there's an awful lot of stuff there that's actually going to be hugely beneficial to, to a lot of different applications. I mean, applications generically, not, not, not like a specific one. Yeah. So that, 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 that's interesting, but you, but 
let's just cause hypothesize a bit, cause we've been here before and talked about this, about memory. Mm. Where does this leave us with Mac pro? Cause your maths would say that if they did this for the Mac pro, if they went the same route with the Mac pro, you get it to one nine, two gigabytes of memory, don't you? Yeah. But we've also had a conversation about, do they hybridize the, the, the memory in the Mac pro? So you have, well, I hybrids the wrong. Sorry, I, I know, I know, I know you like detail, but you, what I'm trying to say is, could they have two types of memory in the Mac Pro, or would they not do that? I, I don't think they're going to do that at this point because they don't need to do it. My my purely hypothetical guess on this is, is remains pretty much unchallenged or unchanged, which is the notion that if you've got this ultra fusion technology, which is essentially NV Link on steroids, to, to borrow from the Nvidia world. It's basically about interconnects, right? The speed of interconnects and basically ultra fusion is let's give it so much bandwidth that we don't notice that there might be problems, right? We can throw enough bandwidth at it that the system will still, still see it as one big resource, not too glued together. Very much like the way graphics cards are architected today, where it, they use like an interconnect NV link, say, to actually make it look to the system as though you've got one giant GPU that is spread across different cards. So if ultra fusion is applied or is a technique such as that to apply a shit ton of bandwidth to like different cards you might put in, you could have an expandable system where you could put like M1 max slots in or M1 ultra slots in or M2 ultra, or whatever it ends up being called, you know, where you could gradually build up your system in terms of all resources, unified resources, both in terms of memory, right? So you GPU, could kind of video you could, encoding. You could grow your Mac Pro by putting cards like almost. I, I that's I that's the way I think it's going to go because this was I this don't was think hardwiring yeah. a Mac Pro is going to make sense in the way it does for say the Mac Studio. Of course, the other question we don't know the answer to is how many Mac Pros did they sell originally with with more than two hundred. 200 gigabytes of memory sitting inside them. You say they, they have the availability of running at one point. I think it's 1.5, isn't it? You can put in a Mac 1.5 terabytes with the, with the certain Xeon, with the low-end Xeon, it's a terabytes, I think, with the higher-end Xeons, it can go to one and a half. But who knows? I, I, only Apple will know how many people spec'd at that kind of spec. And if it's a tiny number... Perhaps well, they prepared don't know to take entirely, the do they, though? Because if somebody buys it from Apple, and I mean, I don't know about you, but I when I can have memory separately, and especially back in the day when you could, I would never order the memory with the Mac because Apple would put a premium oh, charge Oh, yes, because, on, on of course, the Mac, the Mac Pro, the old Mac, the 2019 Mac Pro still allowed you to add third-party memory, didn't it, of course? Yes. So they wouldn't necessarily know what the Mac's usage is, only if they were getting data back. I was going to say, only if it's phoning home. Yeah, if you if you gave Apple permission when you when you signed up and installed the computer to know things about, or if you've ever filed a bug request, yeah, yeah. Or a it bug would know that, stuff. This application unexpectedly crashed, so we pass the information on to the developer. Well, then that would contain probably the maximum of the, the memory of the machine. But I mean, that's still it doesn't give. I wouldn't give you a complete picture either way. It reminds me a bit of the black hole that was found. I don't know, did you hear that they found a black hole today? Uh, one, I think it was NASA or somebody that's like swallowing the equivalent of Earth at one a, one a minute. It's on the outer limits of the galaxy, the, the Milky Way. Uh, no, um, when, you, when, when, it, when you're talking about that kind of scale with black holes, it doesn't matter how big the black hole really is. It's a black hole is a black hole. And I suppose when you're talking about 192 terabytes 
of uh, sorry, 192 gigabytes of data. In a sense, it, that's still a huge amount of RAM. Yeah, for most, especially for most if, reasonable you're, if people. you're going to be able to use SSD storage more efficiently which, through which you can now, resource yeah. loading in Metal 3, for example, then that kind of obviates the need for um, having everything stored in actual RAM. Because, I mean, when you think about how vulgar a lot of these samplers are these days in terms of they're preloading the first part of an awful lot of samples that never get used. Yeah. So if you could have a sampler that didn't need to preload anything, but could be fast enough to rely on the Extreme. very first time you play it. Yeah. Or if the sampler could restore the state and the song and know exactly what the last data set was and preload just that data set, that would already have huge improvements. So I think people that program samplers need to um, start being quite clever with these resources. Because there's some smart stuff like that, isn't there? In Omnisphere, in the in the Spectrosonics products, they they do exactly that. They they find out what notes you're playing, mm. and, and they will only they will only load those notes in that song, which is really yeah, quite smart. So the plugin could remember that state, right? Yeah. Which notes were played? What was what was loaded? What was cached at the last point that this plugin was used in a project? And they could just reload for that. And they could load it asynchronously, which a lot of people are sort of, they do it in the background, they do it on another thread. It's not quite asynchronous in the way of um, the resource loading model is where you're issuing requests to a queue and things like that. But yeah, there's an awful lot of stuff that could be uh, quite, quite clever and cool coming forward by embracing all of this. Uh, and it's not, as I say, that technology is just a Mac specific technology. It just happens that it'll probably work better on Mac because the mem you're loading memory directly onto the processor. So whether, you know, if you were doing mostly doing CPU manipulation, that's fine. If you were doing mostly graphics manipulation, which is um, really these technologies are designed for like texture loading. So for a, uh, an NVIDIA graphics code, that's fine because all the texture manipulation is going to be done on the GPU. So it is in fact loading it into the right place, but it's not probably most uh, audio computation isn't going to be done on the GPU. So it's still going to need to switch it around in a, in a PC basis or Windows based system. So I, I don't see where this goes. I'm, I'm, I'm quietly optimistic. Um, but. Here's a question. When I got the first Mac and I was doing some tests on it, if you opened Activity Monitor and you loaded something like mm. a, a DAW, you saw effectively what seemed to be a huge RAM disk going on. Uh, yeah. Is that correct? Is that they, uh, they, they, they seem to be, and of course, with, with the, speed of, the speed of the hard drives these days, it almost is, in, in most cases, not noticed. Like we think of RAM disk in the old days of Windows, and do you know what I mean? It was like yeah. the disk would cache off some stuff onto the, and or then even, bring it back even into RAM. Yeah, the Atari ST. Yeah, they did that as well. But it seems that, that Apple are doing that with silicon to a degree because I've seen a lot of stuff loaded. It, it, it's, it's not so much a round disk as just for what's called you know virtual memory. Essentially, they're just paging in and out different parts of the system as as they're needed and as they're not needed. And the theory, you know, you can actually most kernels, despite what logic would suggest, are actually the actual OS kernel itself is pageable usually. So. You know, you can page in an awful lot of stuff that you don't really need to keep persistently. And that was why a lot of people were worried about the, the lifespan of the SSD storage in, in the M1 Max to begin with, yeah. because they were doing a lot of paging, especially on lower yeah. capacity machines with low capacity dose memory. Um, but the, because obviously the lifespan of an SSD is, is usually registered as, you know, how many read write ops it can do. And 
that's not proved to be a problem. I haven't heard of anyone no, that says a steam no. burning out. Yeah. So, no, no, so yeah, it no. is doing all of that. Um, but I think it's also worth look, thinking about the, the sort of what, what, what a lot of people refer to as domain specific architectures with this stuff, because I read this um, thing recently, which really annoyed me. I don't know why, as this shows you how sad I am, if this is the sort of stuff that annoys me. I read in a, in a fairly good magazine, um, somebody had written a statement that basically said, you know, when cutting edge means multiple streams of uncompressed 8K video, audio starts to look like a solved problem. And that's a really, really foolish way of looking at it because it's, it could erroneously lead people to assume, well, yeah, if you can do 8K video, then audio is fine, you know, blah, blah, blah. But the point is that with domain specific architectures like the M1 and M2 now, they have dedicated video engines on them for doing the compression, decompression, a bit like the afterburner card did in the Mac Pro 19. And that sort of misses out the point that you're actually offloading a shit ton of video jobs to these media engines, as Apple call them, for doing 8K, now H.264, 8K, HEVC, which is basically H.265. And if you actually use like Apple compressor or something or anything that's dealing with video transcoding, um, you notice that the, the CPU monitor is really doing very little. And you're thinking, well, how on earth is it doing it this fast? And activity monitors show almost trivial usages of CPU power. Well, the answer is it's not that the M2 is so fast or the M1 is so fast that it can transcode video just natively like that off the CPU. It's because it's got dedicated media engines to do that job for it. Sure, you're, so, you're looking at the thing that isn't doing the work. I get you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, yeah. the reason it seems to be such low CPU usage is because that's because the CPU is doing the work. It's it's yeah, all the yeah. CPUs doing there. It's just just keeping things queued up and, and you know, run you know, nicely Re running along. And so, refreshing the screen on the activity monitor that's not showing you anything that's useful. <laughs> Excellent. So is there a case mark for a, for, for, for an audio engine? Yes, the, in, well, in that's, the, that's exactly the point, yeah. You think there is a case for it? Do you, do you well, think I Apple think, would yeah, ever I even mean, embark upon it? One of my pet peeves recently has been this, the notion of, which I, I might write an article about this if anyone could be bothered to, to stay awake to read it, but... Um, I think there's a case for saying that actually maybe, maybe audio threw at it the notion of like needing DSP hardware a little bit too prematurely, because as I say, if the video world is being able to benefit from dedicated processing engines, then there is always a case for, well, yeah, exactly. Audio. Hmm. I mean, there isn't the same demand now. I mean, really what DSP chips were, were great at doing was providing fast hardware multiply accumulates, which weren't part of the regular processor architectures at the time. But nowadays they are. So the M1 has a particularly good multiply accumulate unit. And that makes a lot of DSP like FFT stuff and also just basic mixing, obviously, because you're, you're multiplying it by a gain factor and then adding it to the mix. So there's all sorts, that's be the trivialest example of why this is useful. But I think, you know, if you could actually, rather than just simply say, hey, we're going to dump this on the neural engine, or we're going to try and do GPU stuff, or, you know, actually having an audio chip on the board, you know, a la Asari Vulcan or the next, and next station, the next Cuban next station, which also had a 56K chip on it. Um, same chips that we used for the early versions of Pro Tools, of course. Yeah, I yeah. think there's still a case for, wouldn't it be cool if there was some kind of dedicated and audio if you engine? AMD are doing, 
you know, they're buying Xilinx, that their future chips will have like FPGA components on them, likely as will Intel. That would mean like a company could actually create their own sort of hardware acceleration for audio, but using the FPGA rather than anything that's existing on the chip already. So that would be quite interesting if you say, you, you know, you bought your Windows copy of Cubase and it actually had its own custom DSP engine if you had a capable system with an FPGA on it that's available to developers. So yeah, I think, I think audio that the is, we haven't heard the last of this chapter in the story and it may be, we actually need to go back to using uh, dedicated audio processing functions to give it that equivalent boost where not everything has to be done on the CPU anymore. Well, that's a, a very interesting thought. Um, we, we, time's getting ahead of us, but before we move right. on, something I'd like to just kind of touch on is we, we've got some some interesting stuff in amongst a lot of stuff about Apple Watch and you know, the uh, lock screens. Yeah. We did get some something of significance. Um, as someone who keeps an eye on these things, Mark, what do you think? I mean, you mentioned delays earlier. Okay, so have we just had a load of computers announced that we're not going to be able to buy, along with all the other ones we can't buy already? <laughs> um, well, any any conclusion to be drawn? You know, you can order one of them on Friday, let's say this podcast, so Friday the 17th. When they're going to end up shipping and how much the demand is for that, I don't know. But they're not offering the M, uh, the MacBook Air M2 yet. They're only offering the power of Oh, sorry, the MacBook Pro uh, M2. So that would suggest that but the fact they're going to prioritize presumably what's going to be the lower selling model, I think probably gives you a bit of a clue as to what the situation is. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Very good point. Okay. Um, well, I mean, we don't we don't have the information to really know what's going on there, but um, thank you very much. I think we should uh, probably move on to Find of the Week because uh, it's getting to the end of the show. So, um, yeah, Find of the Week. RSPE Audio Solutions design, sell, and install professional audio and video equipment. Their team are available by phone, live chat, or email to receive and process orders. They have everything you need to build or upgrade your home studio to ensure you can continue to work from home. If there is anything they can do to help, reach out or shop online at rspeaudio.com. Okay, so Russ, what's your find of the week? Uh, my find of the week uh, is, in a sense, a bit premature because some stuff's coming out on the blog, but we've been doing a lot of stuff with the Evo 16 recently from Audient. Audient uh, uh, have been a bit of a, a stalking horse in the last few years because obviously they're known for their uh, huge consoles, beautiful consoles, British built. But over the last few years, they've really been starting to make some really cool products Uh that started at the low end, such as well, not only started at the low end, I've already got one of their ASP 880s, which is their 18 uh, audio interface. But more and more, they're going almost Apple-esque in their design and implementation because their latest products, they did a few things which had some really cool things like loopback on them, like the ID 14 and stuff like that. And the Evo series was already out, but they bought out the Evo 16 recently, which has smart gain on it which automatically sets the gains. Not, it's not like you go one, two, three, four down each mic. You can put a load of mics on a drum kit, get a drum to start playing, and it figures out the gain for each mic automatically and does it really well. We've been running some tests, trying to break it, and it does a fantastic job of it. Sort of like those moments, I know Mark hates me using this term magic. It's not magic, it's just maths. But but anything, I think anything that can take some of those mundane things out of the, the equation 
uh, in the world of doing what we do, the better. I think that sometimes we've been sold as a con when it comes to technology and music production because sometimes it makes it actually harder than easier. Not so. At the, Especially at the, Evo the drivers. Six, Hopefully they've improved their Windows drivers in the last few years. Yeah, but they're yeah, but they're, I remember, but they're like, anyway. Two thousand sixteen-ish, yeah. their Windows drivers were pretty unpleasant to to, to work with, but. But then I went and did some looking. There's a guy on uh, on YouTube, a German guy who who does really in depth. I mean, in depth. This guy, he he just just these incredible tests on audio interfaces. I mean, he, t- he virtually takes them apart. He does all these this science on them. Tells you all about the the the, the sound the signal to noise, the distortion, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and uh, I looked on his on his. I was looking at something else he was doing, and audience were just coming out on top of everybody else in terms of the quality as well, and then the price as well. So the EV the the Evo sixteen is three ninety nine. It's a really feature packed audio interface, and uh, got some smart tech in it as well. It's a winner. So I bought one. So it's, so, uh, it's, so I did it. I did it. I, I did it. It's not here yet, but I apparently I'm going to be the first guy in the in the country to have one. I called a, called in a favour of an audience, and I paid for. It. I bought and paid for it. So I did a Victor Kayam. I liked it so much. I bought the company. No, no, not quite. I bought the product. So there's one on the way. But, but you're but in Ireland, right, Seth? I'm no. I'm in Great Britain. I'm in Northern Ireland. You know all the Brexit protocol. That's where I am. I, we're the ones causing problems for Boris, and there's no greater pleasure than that. Anyway. That's mine, the Audient Evo 16. Excellent. Politics aside. Mark, what about you? What's your find of the week? Um, well, I, I, I've mentioned one of their plugins in the past, which is uh, Sound Particles. And um, their new density uh, plugin is, is, is truly phenomenal. They tend to create plugins that just uh, make life easy and uh, just make it very easy to, to create interesting audio effects. It, you know, in a very simple way. And, and with density, what it does is essentially it's, it's a, it uses sort of a granular element to have, have set how many voices you want up to a hundred. So it's a way of like, you could use it for the doubling vocals, thickening that up. But I've also used it to create movement within pads, which is really, really fun. And even like uh, drums, you can use it with to make it sound like you've got this incredible drum ensemble. And the fact that it can take, you know, a stereo drum loop and turn that into a 712 animated kind of effect. Um, and everything's all spaceable. So you can, you know, automate, you know, if there's an XY controller on the screen that the defaults to be set to a D tune a number of voices. And just sort of automating that is actually incredibly fun. Um, it's a bit CPU intensive if you want to run multiple instances with a hundred voices on each, but. But I, I, I so that's a, that's a good thing. That 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 means you're having fun if you're running out of resources. I think. <laughs> but uh, I, I think this is. I, I was. I've been thinking of this product for years because when the Lord of the Rings movies were made twenty years ago, there was a piece of software that that created all those massive army scenes. It took one person and then kept. And I think it's called Massive and morphed them across the battlefield into lots of, and I think this is the audio equivalent of that kind of thing, isn't it? It's basically, it's not only for choirs, but you could like do a crowd on it, couldn't you? Yeah, you absolutely could. I mean, yeah, the, the crazy stuff with CG was an interesting problem. I mean, it goes all the way back to Pixar's film Ants, which wouldn't have yeah. been possible to have that many, and you couldn't possibly hand down and make, you know, hundreds of thousands of ants or hundreds of thousands of warriors in Lord of the Rings. So you had to find a way to do that with computation. But 
in a way that made it look realistic as opposed to just, you know, puppets. So this is very much that the fact you can adjust the speed at which these things are moving around your sort of virtual um, 3D audio space. Uh, and so there's an element of collision detection. You can get the force to swirl either randomly or clockwise or counterclockwise, which is also fun. So you can have this sort of sense of like almost like a swarm of locusts going around your head, but each locust represents like a different grain of the, the incoming audio. And those grains can be played back forwards, backwards, or a combination thereof, you know, uh, split between the number of voices. So I, you know, I'm just having a lot of fun with that. And, uh, you know, for a hundred bucks again, it's like, well, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's very, it's, it's, I I think their pricing is incredible. Thinking of the kind of the market they're selling to. Is it Atmos compatible? Does it create immersive stuff? It does up to seven. I think it may be seven one four entirely, but it certainly does seven one two. Um, so it's easy to use uh, in logic and Pro Tools. It works great in both, actually. Julian, what's yours? I think I know because I saw it on Facebook. Yeah, no, I'm I'm not being all audio uh, uh, this time, which is unusual for me. It's my new T-shirt, which I'm terribly proud of. I'm wearing it right now. And uh, it's I don't have a highbrow taste in films. My my favourite film is Spinal Tap. I love it. And uh, it's I, a, I, Yeah, yeah. It, it's a well, polymer- then you have to take the camera off so we can't see the T-shirt. It's well, crazy. okay. I'll t- uh, yeah. it's, uh, <laughs> I sat there naked, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's a, yes, it's, he says he's wearing a t-shirt, but yeah, I don't I'm don't trying to get him. it back onto actually about the t-shirt rather than my state of nakedness, yeah. which is yeah. Anyway, um, it's um, it's a Polymer Records uh, t-shirt, oh, which was the <laughs> fictitious uh, record company that Spinal Tap were were signed to, and one of my favourite scenes is Artie Fufkin, the uh, Midwest oh, rep yes, the- of, uh, and I just I love that scene, and yeah, it's it's that t-shirt, and I saw it online the other day and went, well, I've got to have that, so. That's mine. I, well, I love, I love, um, is it Patrick, what is it called? Uh, Patrick Mears. And I know something there was, he plays uh, Sir Dennis Eaton Hogg. Fantastic. And and Bobby and Fleckman, his, Bo- Bobby his, his assistant. You know, yeah. Bobby Fleckman, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. We could go all day. That's pretty much what happened when I posted this on Facebook. And I, I it's just as well you didn't start the, start the podcast with this. Because we, we could have so gone down a rabbit hole. So anyway, there we are. This was all This was all actually inspired by I was checking out some music on Spotify and on the picture, the band was stood moody shot against the wall and one of them was wearing a T-shirt with the uh, double D... Dolby logo and it said Dubly and I went I yeah. like that but it's Again, a bit obvious. Everyone knows you can't do rock and roll in Dolby. Exactly and uh, and one thing led to another and I found this one I went actually that's even better. So anyway that's all we've got time for this week so thank you to my guests Russ and Mark for sharing their thoughts on the news from WWDC 2022. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Production Expert Podcast. Mm-hmm.